a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Of course, we've uh, just uh, passed or coming up on the 20-year anniversary since the start of the war in Afghanistan. Uh, And while the war itself is now over, uh, we need to make sure we're pausing long enough and have attention enough uh, to figure out what the lessons are that we learned from it. Remember, one general said this was not a 20-year war. It was a one-year war repeated 20 times because we failed to learn lessons uh, that needed to be learned along the way. Anthony Markham's uh, resident fellow at the R Street Institute. He joins us now to discuss the AUMF, the Authorization for Use of Military Force. Congress passed this back in 2001. We want to discuss how it was used to go to war and how it should be used moving forward. To me, this is one of those crucial conversations that many of us uh, are not focusing on uh, as it relates to the role of Congress as, a, as opposed to the uh, office of the president as, as the commander-in-chief. And uh, Anthony, great to have you back on the program. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So let's dive in. For some of our listeners that may not have been following, uh, we, we often hear this AUMF, uh, and uh, most people kind of just move on to whatever is next after that. But explain uh, for our listeners, what is that AUMF, and uh, how has it been used? And then we'll get into what we should be doing moving forward. Yeah, sure thing. So the AUMF is an acronym for the Authorization for the Use of Military Force, and there are several of them. You have these authorizations because, go back to the Constitution, Congress, contrary to popular belief sometimes, Congress shall have the power to declare war. So when the president wants to have the authority to, to have a military strike, military action, instead of declaring war, very often Congress will pass these authorizations. The 2001 AUMF, which is responsible for our presence in Afghanistan, was passed one week after September 11th, so the 20th anniversary will be on this this weekend. And there are other AUMFs. The 2002 AUMF, for instance, led to the war in Iraq, and we still have other AUMFs that haven't been repealed. We have AUMF from 1991, which concerned the Gulf War, and we even have an AUMF from 1957 concerning communism, which has never been repealed and is still actually on the books. Mm. Wow, fascinating stuff. And uh, I'm glad you brought up the Constitution. Of course, uh, tomorrow is Constitution Day, uh, 234 years ago that was put in place. And and you uh, rightly pointed out, Anthony, that uh, it is Congress that has the power to declare war. Why is it that Congress continues to abdicate uh, that authority over to the executive branch? Uh, For starters, it's convenient. These are very important responsibilities. They're challenging policy decisions that are made. And often we see with many instances, whether it's looking at federal, um, federal agencies, whether it's looking at often how we legislate, we often defer to the executive branch in so many areas. Foreign policy and decisions, when to go to war, has just been another one of them. And, of course, there's also this structural advantage. The commander-in-chief, the president of the United States, has the military. The Pentagon is based within the executive branch. That sort of oversight, consultation is difficult work. And so often – Um, Congress has been more than willing to push things off to the executive branch to have them handled it. 
really to the detriment of constituents. If your representative is not empowered to control foreign policy decisions, you know, in turn, citizens are empower- uh, unempowered as well. Yeah, and I think that's so important because if, uh, if if Congress does that, then when we want some accountability, it's very easy for a member of Congress to just shrug their shoulders and say, well, you know, it was uh, – <laughs> There wasn't AMUF. It was it was done before I got here, and I have nothing to do with it. So if you, if you have a complaint, you know, go go see the president. Uh, and so it sort of absolves them of any responsibility or accountability uh, in terms of some of these real life and death decisions and uh, impacts uh, all of us here in the United States. Yeah, that's uh, that's absolutely right. And it's almost unfortunately it's become a convenience. And I think it's notable that again this weekend will be the 20th anniversary of the 2001 AMUF. How many members of Congress have entered Congress and perhaps have even left Congress without ever having um, to think about the 2001 EMF? It was authorized well before their tenures, and it continues well after their tenures. That's something that doesn't seem sustainable and really doesn't seem to make sense, especially with, as you mentioned, kind of going into this. You know, it was discussed by one person from the military. This was a 20-year 20, 20 war that was fought 20 different times. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Uh, and so as we look at the path forward, uh, lessons learned, give us some of those lessons learned. And, you know, is this the time to, to repeal that? Uh, is this a time for a different kind of debate in Congress in terms of that? We know there are moments where presidents do need to be able to respond or react quickly to, to global events. We get that. Uh, but what are the lessons we should learn and what is the path forward? I think some of the lessons, if, and I argue that it's important to, if you're not going to repeal the AUMF, there definitely needs to be some sort of replacement. And I think it's important for policymakers who are hesitant, saying, look, the president needs powers. The war on terror is still present. There are a number of national security threats all over the world. That's absolutely true, and the president still needs powers and authorities to deal with those. But repealing the 2001 AUMF, or at least amending it, is not necessarily an indictment on two decades of foreign affairs. It's actually something that's proactive and responsible. And a lot of that is because the actual language of the 2001 AUMF itself is really not that helpful. If you look at the actual text, it deals with the people who perpetrated 9-11, al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden in Afghanistan. That was the initial purpose of it. It's been stretched out of convenience to deal with, quote, associated forces. So that's led us to strikes in places like Libya, Somalia, Yemen, battling ISIS in Syria. But that wasn't a part of the 2001 AUMF. So the problem is you're using, you're seeing presidents across administrations stretch these authorizations beyond things they shouldn't be touching. If Congress actually gave them the correct powers, you wouldn't see that type of abusive language. It's almost like a rubber band. If you stretch it too much, it's not going to go back to its typical shape. And we need this separation of powers. We need these checks. And if Congress just defers it based on bad language and general language, again, the AUMF was drafted in 2001. We didn't even know who was yet responsible for 9-11. That's how broadly it's written. And so it desperately needs an upgrade. And I think that's one of those things you're seeing more and more bipartisan recognition of on the Hill, at least. Yeah, and I I do hope this is one of those that that brings everybody together uh, and where Congress can actually reassert some of that uh, and at least get us something new in terms of an authorization uh, authorization for use of military force, uh, because there there has to be a better way. And again, I I do think it's ironic that we're we're hitting these anniversaries, of, of course, tomorrow with Constitution Day, uh, as you mentioned, the uh, 20-year anniversary of the uh, 2001 AUMF uh, that, of course, was designed to, to deal with Osama bin Laden, al-Qaeda, and so on. Uh, those are critical things. This is a crucial conversation that not enough of us are paying attention to, 
Uh, Anthony Markham from the R Street Institute. Always appreciate your insight. Thanks for joining us today. All right. Thank you for having me. Great stuff, as always, from Anthony. And uh, those are so important. Who has the authority to declare war? Guess what, folks? It's Congress, not the president. And uh, Congress has got to step up, reassert that authority so we can have better debate, better discussion, more transparency and accountability in the decisions that are made for the United States of America. We'll be right back. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.